everyone. Welcome to the Journeyman Firefighter Podcast. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe. With me, I'm excited to, uh, to have Lloyd Mitchell. You may or may not know the name, but I'm sure you've seen the pictures. Lloyd's been taking pictures out of FDNY in the New York area for a long time. He seems to be always in the right place at the right time and has captured some of the most significant uh, fire events uh, that I've seen in New York. You know uh, listening to this, I'm a big nerd on the rescues and firefighter grabs and, and firefighter rescue survey type stuff. And uh, he's lent his work to to that that mission as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce Lloyd Mitchell. How you doing, Lloyd? Grant, everything's good, my friend. Uh, another busy day. It was a frustrating day, but, uh, you know, you make it work with everything uh, you got to do, you know? Uh, so two, three stories on the docket for me today. One story worked out. The other two stories like fell apart last minute, but, uh, that is what it is. That's a part of the nature of the business, but everything's good here. How are you? Good. Good. So I would love to get into like your stories of the day and how you follow all that. But first thing, tell us a little bit about you, your life and how you got into doing what you're doing now. All right. So I, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to school in Buffalo, uh, backtracking into high school. That was when I first picked up a camera at 16 years old, and that led me into college. College then took me into, hey, you have to go make portraits over the summertime. And I'm like, okay, let me see what I can come up with. And I swayed this way with the project, I swayed that way with the project, and then I just started documenting all the different fire departments up there. There's a bunch of volunteer fire departments up in Western New York. There's a bunch of, there's the Buffalo Fire Department, which is a professional fire department. And I just started making photographs of everything from candid photographs to them on the rig, going to fires and just at, for them going in and out to fires. And then when they get on the fire ground, doing what they got to do. Um, and it's kind of morphed into this unique world that I didn't expect it to morph into, you know, now that you're looking at eight years later, you know, and you're like, holy smokes, this thing really like took off and had a mind of its own kind of. And you just kind of bob and weave and do what you got to do and make pictures however you got to make them, you know, and just to show people what's really going on in the world. And yeah, that, that, that you've got such a, a unique perspective on things, you know, yeah. I, I, being working in the firehouse for a lot of years, a lot of people have come up and they want to take pictures of the rigs or just take pictures of what seems like very, uh, I don't know, uh, static, just, just a picture, yeah. but not really a story. And you, you yeah. have a, such a good, good way of capturing uh, the faces of the guys, the, uh, the action going on and whatnot. How, how is it, how'd you get that angle or, or what, what was going through your head as you're, you're trying to figure out what's the best way to capture this stuff? You kind of have to, your first reaction to it, especially I was lucky enough in New York that my uncle was on the job in New York. And so I kind of like talked to him about it. You know, and I talked to him and how I should go about approaching it. And then I figured, all right, let me see what I can come up with. And I approached the Buffalo Fire Department and everything kind of just ran its course. 
from from there, you know? Um, and we, it takes a lot of brainstorming. You have to like think outside the box, you know? Everybody always wants these nice pretty pictures of like fire blowing out of windows. That's the easy part for photographing firefighters and photographing police officers and photographing EMTs. The difficult part is making moments that last forever, you know, and making them as unique as possible. So photographing like a graduation ceremony or photographing a paramedic's first day, you kind of you have to gain access and gain their trust. So how, how did, yeah, how did you gain the trust of the firefighters? You kind of just got to, you have to, sh essentially what you have to do is you just have to show up at these different, whether it be fires that they're going to or emergencies that they're going to and just show them that you're not a bad person. And here's the reason why you're out in the snow, in the rain, in the dead of winter, in the dead of summer, making these photographs. Like people, Buffalo was always a heavy documented place in terms of firefighting. and Everybody was always surprised at that. And I was like, guys, they're one of the best fire departments in the country that no one ever talks about, you know? And, you, and they understand the role that photography plays for their public perception. Because think about it. How often do we talk about amongst ourselves, you see PIOs and fire departments get dragged online all the time for different things that they've done, whether it be good or bad. You know, you kind of just have to let the narrative speak for itself, you know, in these specific situations. And all of that comes down to access. And once you gain their trust, life becomes a little bit easier for you, you know, and then you just have to build off that over the course of, of time and building momentum. How... Um now gaining that trust and the guys seeing you get pictures, you know, mm -hmm. when, when, how do they go about getting any of those pictures from you or are, do you share them with those guys or there's a place for. Uh, so there's multiple ways they can contact me on Instagram. They can contact me through my email, through my website. Uh, some people just call me up. Hey Lloyd, let's go out for lunch. And we end up just talking about work related stuff between different incidents I've been at, different incidents I've been at. Hey, you have a photograph of me from such and such. Nine times out of 10, unless it's like fairly fresh, I don't ever remember it because I have so many, you know? Like, and I mean fairly fresh, I mean within a week, you know? Um, and yeah, they contact me all different, through emails. I have people's significant others contact me all the time for photographs, you know? It's just a matter of, if you know the date, you know the time, and you know the place that it took place, that helps me out. Because I've got thousands of photographs sitting on, on my computer and hard drive. You know? I can't imagine how big that hard drive has got to be. It's, it's incredible how many photographs I have sitting on. Like some, some of them I've forgotten all about because it's been years since I've taken them. You know? And uh, I'm still having fun. You know, I, I still can't believe I get a chance to get up every day and work will come and be like, hey, Lloyd, we need you to go to the second alarm or third alarm. And I'm like, 
all right, I'm pretty much either halfway there or almost there, you know, and I start doing my thing, make, make photographs and then I'll file them off to them. And that's the end of that, you know? Um, yeah. So that, that's something I wondered. Um, I've gone to, you know, different places and, and tried to chase fires and, you know, most <laughs> of it is just out of curiosity. Uh, you know, I'm very amateur. So if I get a picture, it's just by sheer luck, but how yeah. are you always, how are you getting your leads or always seem to be at the right place at the right time, especially on this fire side? So it's really, really funny. Everybody always asks me that. And I always tell them there's two ways. One, I'm either really, really lucky. Two, I'll either, I'm listening to the radios really, really hard. And I kind of know what to listen up for, what to look out for now. Um, Another thing that people don't realize is that certain blocks you've had multiple jobs on over the years. So you just know off, off that instinct of, all right, Hegemon Avenue, you, you kind of just know. Uh, and then sometimes I'm, I'm really keyed in. And then my network of colleagues, they're also super tuned in to what's going on throughout the five boroughs. And then you're just making your move uh, to it. And you're either hoping to get really lucky or just make an interesting picture one way or another, you know, or my whole goal is to just make an interesting photograph uh, from the time I get there until the time that I leave. And that's just, that window's super short. It's maybe if you're lucky, 15, 30 minutes out of your day, you know, where everybody always thinks we're there all day. You're not there all day. You know, it's like 15, 15 minutes of action. If you get the earlier you get there, the better off you are, you know? Um, how, how do you make your way around New York City? So it's it's the most insane thing, but sometimes if something sounds really good, I'll either jump on the train, either Uber it, or I'm just within the area, you know? And sometimes you're, you're coming off one story, and then that leads you into a whole nother uh, ballgame or a whole nother shooting, stabbing, fire. It doesn't matter, you know? As long as you put your, you have to be in the general vicinity to make interesting pictures, you know, and the moment you are in that area, that's kind of your domain for that little period of time. You know, you have to figure out, all right, I'm going to be here, but then something on like the Western side of Brooklyn will happen, or I'm going to stay at home for the day or going to the office. And then that changes because you can only go north south. So you also have to know, like, thank God I know Brooklyn really well. You know, I've got 30 years living here, you know, um, and there are shortcuts around it and just a way of life. You know, sometimes things fall into your lap. Sometimes you, uh, I always love, and I say this sarcastically, I always love when, uh, we have situations that end up where you were just in that general neighborhood and things go down right after you leave that area. You're like, I was just there, you know, you're just there. And all of a sudden things are happening as you're getting back home or getting back to the office, you know, and we, we strategically place ourselves in, in certain spots where we think things are going to happen and go from there. I'm assuming it's probably pretty easy to get in some bad situations, but you've got the street smarts having lived there for so long. Tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. 
So here's a, every time I hear this question, I had one maybe four years ago. I was, I was coming home from Buffalo, uh, seeing the girlfriend, and there was a all-hands job that ended up going to a third alarm. And I got into this backyard of the, the building was in a six-story walk-up. Uh, and I got into this backyard and these guys were standing at the fence and they were like, yo, yo, cameraman, where, uh, where bloods and crips and we helped save the elderly woman and we helped save, uh, the four-year-old and a toddler take our picture. So I didn't think anything of it. I made a couple of pictures of him, and that helps you get you out of street smart. The camera always helps get you out of really situations that you feel are dicey. You know, it will always help you, especially in situations like that. You know, I've seen it happen out in Detroit where guys will be like, yo, get out of here. And then five minutes later, they'll be like, yo, take my picture. And then they're your best friend, you know? Um, but then you also have to remember, as like a photojournalist, nine times out of 10, you're showing up on someone's worst day. And if someone asks you to just be respectful and not take photographs of this fire, listen, I'm not gonna make their, I'm not gonna compound matters and make matters worse for them, you know? Cause then that's really gonna agitate them and that's gonna be a bad day for you, you know? Um, I've seen photographers get thrown down flights of stairs, you know? Um, your whole mission is to not become a part of the story. Your whole mission is to make the photographs and then get out of it as quickly as possible without further incident. And, uh, yeah, that's how that happens. Um, and I still have, I still have that photo on my hard drive somewhere where the guys are just cheesing and they're throwing up gang signs the entire time. You got to know when to approach situations and when to like back off situations, you know, some, some situations are worth working a little bit harder than others to get away from people. And some are, you know, um, and that does that. Take us through what your normal day is. Oh, it's, uh, the normal day is, it's an interesting process. So my day normally starts at, six i'll normally wake up at six have breakfast and then i'll uh i'll leave the radios on just out of like background noise for me and if something comes in i've got a network of people that i talk to every day throughout the five boroughs of new york and you got george mitchell who's been at cbs for 30 something years that guy knows brooklyn like the back of his hand and he's responsible for brooklyn Queens and sometimes Manhattan and we'll start off just talking about nonsense and then like listening to the radios and just talking about what's going on uh, between PD, FD and then I talk to the guys overnight just to make sure that like nothing outrageous happens that I should know about or that should be on my radar for the day and then I'm just kind of scanning the, ra the radios just to make sure that like I know what's in tune for the for the day you know and obviously i'm not going to make every single incident but uh 
I'm sending out emails. I'm in contact with my photo editor for the day, whoever I'm working for, just so they know, hey, here's what you got coming or here's what's coming down the pipe for you. So some days I'll be in court. Some days I'll be at a perp walk. Some days I'll be at a shooting. And sometimes I'll be at a fire. Like I never know. You know, it's all a, like whatever juggles. And what the first thing that falls into your lap, you make a move and call it a day. You know, uh, are you freelance or do you work for people? No, I, f- I freelance. For dummies like me, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so when you when you freelance, you have the opportunity to work with a variety of different places. So uh, I'm at AM New York, New York Times, Reuters, uh, Fire Engineering, Firehouse Magazine, and depending on what the situation is, and if I kind of figure a story won't work here, I'll just eliminate that half of my brain and be like, hey, I'll turn off sending photographs to them for the day. You know, because fires nine times out of 10 don't make big stories here. You know, they're not, especially with everything going on nowadays, they don't make the news as frequently as people think they do. You know, the story, fires in New Jersey make the news, fires in Long Island make the news, but fires in the city of New York, very rarely ever made news. Um, but going back to my day, like I'll, ch- I'll check my camera gear um, just to make sure everything's on the up and up, just to make sure everything's snuffed to the way I want it to operate and, and go about how um, I want it to. And I'll just see whatever the day brings, you know, whatever rolls down the hill, that's what I'm going to uh, be at. So, um, yeah, that does, that's a part of my day. What I love about your work is that you capture so much of what the guys do uh, at FDNY. And what Mm -hmm. I found in doing uh, the Grabs podcast and some other stuff that a lot of guys in big cities don't talk about what they do. We do a Mm -hmm. lot of interviews on people that uh, make Grabs so that we can learn from it. Mm -hmm. I have found a struggle, especially in the bigger cities that like, hey, we just we don't talk about it. So Share what you see on that backside. I mean, I know you capture pictures, but share that professionalism and and just what happens on some of these. I know you've been on so many calls where there's been victims removed. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from my perspective, um, some of them had a uh, on-hands job a couple of years ago, like during the start of the pandemic, where this poor guy was... He was trapped in a basement fire, and uh, there was also hoarding conditions on top of the basement fire. So I'm on the phone with my mother, and I hear the job come in, and uh, it's not far from where I am. So I started out for it, and I'm like, okay, they look like they're making headway. Next thing I know, top comes running up to me. And the cop says to me, look, I need you to back off and stay back a little bit. So I talked to him for a brief second and I was like, look, I'm not here to make anybody look bad. Like, I'm just here to do my job as a photographer, as a photojournalist. I'm just here to make pictures. So I uh, get in a good position to make a couple of pictures. Next thing I know, I hear over the, over the handy talkie on the rig hey we have a 1045 and we're trying to bring them out now but we need to 
we need to clear some of this debris. So now guys are just bringing debris out of this house. And this place was filled with clutter and contents. And the next thing I know, they bring him out. And I make a photograph of him. And I'm just like, all right, that's what it was. I still, to this day, don't ever know if that guy survived or whether he uh, passed away. You know, it's just a weird thing. Like, I always wonder, did that person live or die? And the only way I ever find out is if I email either the police department or email the fire department. So another case I had recently, like within the last couple of months, was uh, it's a fire in a brownstone. And they had multiple phone calls on it. And the battalion chief gets on the radio and he's uh, screaming. He gave the urgent 1075 for a fire on the second floor extending to the third floor. And I get to the scene. What I couldn't see initially to the left side of me was they were doing CPR on a toddler. And so now I'm thinking just from like, job wise i have to for my job i have to make that critical photograph but also be respectful to the family that's out there and they're wailing away so the worst thing on my side is whenever i hear like a parent scream or a mother scream that their kid is inside and the next thing you know on the sidewalk you see firefighters paramedics trying to do cpr on both these people and unfortunately the three-year-old the three-month-old she didn't survive and neither did the mother but the grandmother ended up collapsing out of stress and sure shock so i made my photographs there and i had a cop stop me and he was like there was no need for you to take photograph there and i was like sir but you have to understand I also have a job to do and I have to show the public what is going on in this time. So unfortunately, um, they both ended up passing away. The grandmother ended up going to the hospital and you get a lot of strife from like the police department, which is especially significantly younger now. And a lot of EMTs will uh, also give you strife about it. But I always tell them like, I'm here to showcase what you people are doing on a day-to-day basis, you know? Um, I can think of numerous situations that I've had like that over the years, you know, where um, some people are lucky to make it out alive and it's when your number's called, your number's called, you know? Um, Yeah, and I, you know, I can see on one standpoint uh, somebody that doesn't understand, not understanding why you're getting that picture. Like, why are you making mm-hmm. things worse? Uh, being uh, a teacher and facilitator of education in the fire service, those mm-hmm. pictures of firefighters actually doing CPR on a three-month-old or a three-year-old mm-hmm. are powerful in understanding, especially for the guys that aren't getting the amount of work that some of these, you know, busy houses are getting, that yeah. they need to prepare mentally and physically yeah for that moment and that moment may come tomorrow and it may come in three years uh 
mm-hmm. but they need to know what they're signing up for. And without you know, somebody like you capturing that stuff, it, it just, uh, it almost sounds like a punchline, you know, yeah. what, we, what we're willing to do. Um, yeah. But it's it's and- real important. One of the weird, weird things about my job is I find myself in all these different scenarios and different circumstances. Like I remember one, it was a hot July summer day and I just woke up, woken up from a nap and the radios were, they put out a box for a manhole fire, but then down the block, they put one down for, um, a fire in a high-rise project building. And I missed the location. Thank goodness the dispatchers repeat the location. So I get there, they knock down the fire really fast. And next thing I know, I'm looking at the building and I'm watching firefighters just carry out like one person, they carry out another person, they carry out another person. They ended up carrying out a family of four that was overcome with smoke inhalation from a kitchen fire in a high-rise multiple high-rise project building. And uh, I didn't find out until months after the fact the girl in the photograph ended up dying, you know? And I was just like, I'm going to send these to my paper and let them make the decision, let the editors make the decision on what to run. You know, because that's important. I can't tell you how many people I've seen pass away from like kitchen fires, you know. Um, but that photograph specifically still stay, it's in the back of my mind all the time of you just never know what you're going to see when you roll out the door to go to any of these things. You know, it's a catch 22 type situation. You're either going to be there or you're going to be off to the left or off to the right. And nine times out of 10, you're going to have a cop in the way screaming at you, just like in this specific scenario. The cop is like, get out of the way, get out of the way. So I'm sliding to the left while trying to still make an important and an impactful photograph. And that's what you do, you know? At that point, it's just mind over matter. And you go and you talk to the cop after the fact, you know? And you let them know why you're there. You know, thank goodness on the positive note of that fire three of the four of them ended up surviving that's good do you think an element of protecting your own self because the amount of of sheer stuff that you're seeing uh is Mm -hmm. not knowing what that final outcome was a hundred percent so i always say i always let my reporters handle the final outcome like I, I was let them make the phone call or the email to the fire department or police department, just in the event that we need to know for the story. You know, nine times out of ten, the police department will email us that information anyway. But I just chalk it up as a grain of salt, you know, um, for my own mental sanity. You know, if I worried about whether a person lived or died all the time, unless it's like something earth-shatteringly important like a house fire where multiple people are being rescued um it just it it helps protect me and also being behind the lens helps protect me as well because it acts as like a third fourth wall you know of 
of uh, protecting myself. Like I'm not seeing it raw and in, in, in focus as if I had the camera down, you know, and I'm seeing it, just taking it in from eye to brain, you know? Yeah, I know uh, one thing that I tell our younger guys when you're in there working on a patient, working on a family is just deal with what you're working on. Don't look up and mm-hmm. look at the pictures on the walls because yeah. that you're you're just doing work. But the second yeah. you look up and you see that family portrait and you see, oh, this is grandma. There she is with everybody happy. That makes it yep. real. And yep. uh, I think uh, I think we have to resist that, uh, that curiosity because that can yes. certainly wreak havoc on us. Um, yep. One of the most uh, famous set of pictures that uh, I think you've done are, were the, the pictures on January 9th at the, the North Twin Parks fire. You want to talk a little bit about that fire? Yeah, um, that was supposed to be my, my day off. And uh, I was on the phone with my best friend. We, we always call each other from 11 to 12 a.m. And she called me and I like, I want to say 11.30, I cut the conversation short because I remember that job coming in and I was like thinking nothing of it. I was like, oh, it's going to be done in five, 10 minutes. Next thing I know, they're like, oh, we have seven 10.45s. Then they kept doubling it. And then at that point, you're, you're now, now it's like, okay, it's game time now. Now you're like, okay, something's a little odd and unusual here. and it took me about 35 minutes to get up there and just the amount of work that had to be done between the coordination between the firefighters, EMTs and police officers was just something out of a movie. I remember the the EMTs, it felt like for me, they couldn't get there fast enough, even though they were trying to get there, you know? Um, I don't know how I was able to make pictures up there. It, it all went by in the blink of an eye. Um, you just kind of understand that in that role, you're just, you're kind of shooting fish in a barrel. You're shooting fish in a barrel because you don't know what it is you have coming down the pipe at you. So the first set of photographs that I have is a guy being worked on by like five or six people. Uh, firefighters and paramedics he is literally naked and my editor he she calls me up and she's like Lloyd just so you know the dude in those photographs are naked you know so we obligated to not run those photographs out of respect and dignity for his family you know Um, but all the others were just like there was so many people and just the sheer volume of the incident. You know, every every photographer, every press photographer that I know that was there made incredible work that, thank goodness, is leading towards changes in high-rise multiple dwellings. Um, obviously, the doors didn't work. Um, and I've, I've been able to talk to several firefighters about that day from their perspective and a couple of chiefs from that perspective. And it's just like, you can only do what deal with what was in front of you at that given time, you know? So if I have photographs and I'm making pictures of people with CPR in front of them, at that point, it's just whatever's in front of me and I'm not worried about whatever's 
there. You know, I'm just, let me zone in, let me do what I got to do. And I lock in and I get lucky because I came around the corner, walked up the hill and they were running people by me, you know? And then at that point, you're like, okay, enough of focusing on the victims. Let's focus on the members at work. And I started making photographs there. And I was just like, here's how I got to, I got to look for the most intense moment because now this is a worldwide event, right? These photographs are being seen all over the world at this point in time. Um, my editor called me and she was like, hey, Lloyd, do you have any photos you could send me? Yeah, sure. You have 30 photos coming at you in the next five minutes. And you just, you stick to the mission of storytelling at that point in time. You know, you don't worry about anything else. You just kind of have to do what it is that you have to do and tell the most with the most impactful photograph possible. And that all happens within a matter of minutes to seconds, to seconds to minutes, I should say, you know, Um, your role in, in, on these scenes is grabbing the pictures. Do you have to get information or do you have people that, that end up getting that backstory and information on things? So the, my, the reporters that I work with are so good at getting information. They squeezed as much information out of that situation as humanly possible. Like there was information that I had that they didn't have. And then there was information. Like I had one reporter tell me um, that they were using Brillo pads to warm, keep their apartments warm with the space heaters and everything else. And because it was a family that was from like West Africa. So they're accustomed to one way of living and one way of living only. And then just, just the sure information that my reporters are able to get and gather is absolutely incredible. Like everybody just thinks it's always me, but my team of reporters, the team of reporters that I work with, they're top notch. You know, they can get as much information out of anything that you need to get you know, and they do it efficiently because everything's happening in real time. Like this article is going up as quickly as you could possibly think of, you know, um, it takes maybe the editor, photo editor, five minutes, six minutes to to flip through all 30 photographs and they have a a select gallery of what they want to use. And the editors, the writers and reporters are doing what they have to do on their side, you know, and then boom, the article hits the internet, the article hits the paper, and that's how that works out. Um, but I try and give them as much information as I know, you know, just because it helps fill fill in the, the gaps that they that they have. Do you do much editing, or do you just shoot them and kind of let let stuff ride? No, so um, so certain places like every everyone's place policies are a little bit differently like certain places i'll have to crop down images and bring them in um certain places i just let them fly you know and get them and they're off you know because at that point we're just worried about story content and making sure all of our information in terms of like age place you know who what when where why and how is all squared away that part i let the the reporters handle and the editors handle but for the most part, unless I know firsthand that I'm going to be able to photograph this and write this story, 
I can kind of piece that stuff together. But when it comes to images, I try and give them as clean and concise as images as that I want to, you know? Um, do you, do you ever go back and look at your pictures after the fact, or are you pretty much a live day to day shooting the moment? No, man? no, no, I definitely try and shoot in the moment, man. I uh, live in the moment and I uh, think mentally it helps me to not go back through and like flip through all those really bad moments that I have of other people's lives. You know, like I don't need to relive those moments. I saw them in real life, you know? So I'm not like sitting down at my computer, like flipping through all these photographs that I have of like really bad moments of people, you know? Um, Yeah. It's, it's, I always tell people it's incredible watching people's day go from zero to 60 in a matter of seconds and you're there to document it you know for whether it be the local angle the national angle or the international angle you know and you just gotta put your hard hat on and get to work and do the work because it's important work you know if you look at how fires are broken down in the news unless something like catastrophic happens they don't really make the news you know or unless it's like a slow news night, they don't really make the news. They're just blips on the radar for most people now, especially news organizations with everything going on. Let's uh, transition a little bit to um, rescues and, and grabs and stuff. What trends mm-hmm. have you seen over the last, and I don't know, you said you've been shooting, shooting FDNY and uh, where you're at for about eight-ish years, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I, you've seen a lot of fatals. You've seen a lot of rescues. Are you noticing any trends uh, with that? Uh, right now, what's really big right now is uh, lithium batteries. Um, they're they're pulling out a lot of people with uh, lithium batteries suffering from smoke inhalations, severe burns. We just had a crazy video released a couple of months ago where two two teenagers shimmied down the side of like a gutter pipe to escape this uh, fire in Manhattan, in uh, Alphabet City. Uh, they shimmied down the, from the fourth floor to the ground floor uh, in Alphabet City in Manhattan. Um, Brooklyn, on the western side of Brooklyn, I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of people are packed into these houses, you know, um, just trying to survive and and make ends meet because things are so expensive here, you know. Um, so, like late last year in October, we had a family of sixteen get rescued uh, over portable ladders, aerial ladders, and then some were able to walk out on their own. Um, they had a whole that whole family was rescued. Thank goodness. They rescued three toddlers out of that one. Um, a lot of it's just, honestly, like what I'm seeing now is smoke inhalation. Like people are just overcome with smoke inhalation. Last week, I had one where a guy was, uh, he was overcome with smoke. And I don't know how he lasted in the building as long as he did. But uh, he definitely, I give him credit for living as long as he did. But he was in the building for a long time, you know. Um, probably before the fire department even got on scene, you know? Um, and 
lot of it's just like heavy contents. Like smoke is is really crushing people. Um, a couple of years ago, like three, four years ago now, it was a hot August morning because it was the day before my birthday, and uh, FD pulls up to a fire in a bodega. It gets into the bodega, gets under the first floor, gets into the second floor, gets into the third floor, and FD rescued people. They attempted to put people in the bucket. They couldn't get a couple of people in the bucket because the victims were so large. A couple of them were relatively large people. Um, And that fire started off of a... uh, faulty electrical wiring attached to a refrigerator. Uh, and the, the victims of that fire, their family members ended up suing the uh, bodega and the city for like a lack of maintenance on the building. You know? So anything you could possibly think of, you, you get it here, you know, and you understand that the potential for things to happen here is high all the time, you know, but that's what I'm seeing right now, you know? Um, Numbers we're seeing on a firefighter rescue survey is where there's one victim, there's likely mm -hmm. the chance to be more. Sounds like Mm -hmm. from your stories and what you've seen uh, that more often than not, if one person's coming out of a structure, it's, it's more than one. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. So, Going back to the fire where the 16 people were rescued, I talked to a member of the family, and she was like, yeah, four family members sleep here, four family members sleep there, four family members sleep there, four family members sleep there. And you could, FD was just tossing out mattresses out of this place like crazy, you know, but like these Poor people have to do what they have to do to survive here. You know, that's the only logical way that they're going to be able to survive. Um, it's just how things are broken down here. Like, between the single room occupancies and people just getting themselves in the wrong spot, being disoriented, they find people all over the place, you know? I had a woman, maybe three, four years ago, maybe even five now, um, they had fire on the first floor and second floor of a private house. They found her in an attached garage, you know? So just like, it's little places that you don't think of that make all the big difference when it comes to rescuing people, you know? Like, those little nuances make a gigantic difference of whether people live or die, you know? Um, it's incredible that the human body is able to withstand all the smoke that these people are taking in. You know, what would you say the, the ratio is of uh, people being pulled out as to people being escorted out and, you know, just with FD assistance that you, that just that you're witnessing. Ooh. uh, I've seen a lot of people over the years get escorted out, but I've also seen, I'm going to say 30, 70. You know, 30 on my end, because nine times out of 10, if a, if a dramatic rescue is, it's either happening 
in progress when they first get on scene within the first two to five minutes, or it's at that point now where I have a good chance of making a potential incredible photograph. So I'm going to say 30, 70, um, just because it all depends on where I am, you know, yeah. and what 30% I 30% walking out and 70% getting pulled out. Is that, is that what you're uh, The other way around. So it'll be 70% getting rescued and then 30% of being, 70% of being escorted out. Yeah. So, um, what's your, what is your favorite, most dramatic picture that you've gotten? Oh God, that's, um, Twin Parks, I have several, uh, I have a, a photo of a guy in a uh, daycare center and he's going in to conduct VES and he's jumping in and smoke is, is over the top of his head and all you see are his legs. Um, so that's one of my all time favorites. I have too many favorites to even think about, but when I think those are the top two for me, um, yeah, those are my, to be top two easily because those are the pictures. Whenever someone asks me about it, I always refer back to those. Cause that, it seems like every time you turn around, you know, one or two fire companies nationwide are getting hammered online for something, you know? That's why I always like to say you're either going to, there's two different ways of fight, fighting fires. The fires are going to be up before the video guys can get there, or you're going to be all over YouTube and you're going to be making your department look bad. I would always rather have the department that comes to my house and the moment they get there, that fire is out in five minutes, you know? Don't, don't do yourself that disservice. Make yourself shine at all times, you know? Um, the internet should roof this place, and that's the last place I would want to make any department. doesn't matter whether it's Buffalo, here, Tampa, Florida, Boston, Baltimore. doesn't matter. Just make your department look good, you know, be, and be proud of, like, the work that you're doing. You're going into even the craziest of crazy places, you know, Philadelphia. Baltimore, Camden, New Jersey, all three places, amazing at what they do. They see their fair share. Some have, sometimes they have good days. They more likely than not, they're going to have good days, and then sometimes they're going to have bad days. But if you're going to be documenting these guys, show them in their best days. You know, we all know their bad days are there. Everybody has bad days. I have bad days. I have bad days when I make terrible photographs all day long, like I did today. It happens. It's part of the, the job. You're human, you know? But, like, make these guys look as good as possible because they're out on the street doing your community a service, you know? What's your favorite away game? Where, where do you like to go photograph if you're not uh, in New York? In New York. If, I, if I'm not in New York, I love going down to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is, like, my favorite place to uh, shoot. I've been down there for several different... Uh, riots that I've had to cover. And man, those guys are as intense as you, you would tend to think they are. They're like, their protests are way more intense than our protests are. You know, just documenting that stuff is a whole nother ballgame. You know, I just had a, uh, a student with me and we were looking through some 
of the civil unrest stuff from last year, and I forgot all about it. I was like, I can't believe I documented all that stuff for like 45 days in a row. That was a lot of work, you know, but Philadelphia is a great place to, to shoot. Baltimore, uh, my photo colleagues, when they went down to Baltimore, they got some incredible work. Um, just it's all a matter of like where you are in relation. It doesn't matter, you know. You could send me the temp too. You're like, Lloyd, you have to photograph this. Make it look good. That's my whole game plan, you know. Just try and making it look good. Um, I don't yeah. care where what, you're what's your, uh, what's your most memorable out, uh, shooting, not shooting, photography shooting outside of a fire? You got one thing that sticks in your mind? So many. Um, yeah, too, too many to, ironically enough, when I photographed Hanson in concert, because Hanson was opening up with uh, Drake. And that was like a weird dynamic of like two clashing styles that were so totally opposite from each other. Um, I remember a riot broke out there. The girl standing next to me got hit in the head with one of the glass snapper bottles. And the guy that we, we were on, they had us positioned on top of a, a ledge. And the guy, like 20 feet below us, as we were photographing the stage, he ended up getting shot by somebody else. And that ended the concert, like minutes before Drake was supposed to come on. So weird yeah. things like that, you know? Um, you take the picture of the girl with the bleeding head wound before you help her? Or what, what's Lloyd do here? Uh, there, I asked her if she was okay. She said she was fine. Um, they had EMTs up on the ledge that they positioned us in the photo pit for. And they took her away. And then next thing you know, all hell just broke loose. There was a, a shooting. Like 40 people ended up getting trampled. It was a disaster. But I often find myself in disasters, even when I'm not working. Like, I was specifically on an assignment that day for non-breaking news stuff and non-fire uh, department and police-related stuff. And it was pretty interesting because I wasn't expecting it. But that's how you always come up across these things, right? You come up with these things where all of a sudden you're like, holy smokes, we've got this situation where I wasn't expecting that to happen. Nine times out of ten, I go to a fire. I don't ever expect it some of the stuff to happen but then there's that one chance that it does happen and boom you make your pictures and you go on about your business you got some pictures uh, a couple months back at the subway shooting didn't you i did talk I did. to us about that right place at the right time there so that was more me utilizing my skills in terms of what i do every day of me listening to radios. So I'm on the phone, George Mitchell's on the phone with me and we're talking and all of a sudden, like they get a smoke condition in the subway, not thinking anything of it. Like it's a smoke condition in the subway. Could be a third rail, blew up something not, that you're not thinking about. Next thing you know, the four row battalion, he gets on the radio and he's like, uh, Brooklyn, we have multiple people shot in the subway. That changed the whole outlook of my day. So I was supposed to start at nine. I ended up starting at 8.30. So I didn't have breakfast. Um, and we're obviously hitting traffic getting there. And all of a sudden, the, like, the fast lane on the highway opens up 
and we got behind seven police cars and just followed them there the entire time. And uh, I started making pictures. I was just, whatever was in front of me, that was my picture. Like, it didn't matter what it was. Um, FBI agent shows up. That's always an automatic picture. Uh, NYPD's canine dog. And then I had to make a couple of pictures of firefighters. And then I stayed for the press conference. And uh, funny thing is there, as I was making my first set of pictures, I had like five minutes to make pictures. And the cops are like, yo, yo, get the hell out of here. They threw us all the way down the block. And then three minutes later, they ended up bringing us back into where it was safe. And uh, we were able to do what we had to do. We tried to get up on rooftops for that one. Just we're always trying to make stuff that like the average person wouldn't think of. Like sometimes like that job, if I had done things differently, I would have gotten up to a rooftop, you know? Um, my whole goal is to make things as unique as possible. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, as long as you make something that you could put on the scoreboard for the day, you, uh, you went out, you know, you luck out. Hey, as we, we start kind of wrapping up here, I do have one thing that's sticking in my mind. What, what did you take pictures of memorable during the pandemic? We saw so many like horrible pictures of, of oh, just bad stuff. Talk, how, talk to about photographing, photographing during the pandemic. So photographing during the pandemic was strange because I was, uh, I was like, making pictures of empty streets, but also still doing my normal day-to-day operations. So um, I have two very busy firehouses that are first and second due to my houses, and they were inundated with just EMS calls. So went to one fire down the block in 257's first due area, and then the second fire, I went down into the second uh, firehouses, and there was no one around. There was not a cop around, not an EMT around, and you're just like, where the hell is everybody? You know. And working through the pandemic was strange, man. It was strange because you'd pull up for fires. And firefighters would be in masks, so you could just you would just see the shield, and then you would just see the victim laying on the ground, and you're like, is EMS is nowhere to be found because they were so inundated with patients. You know, it was probably the wildest thing I'd, I've seen yet. You know, and that says quite a bit because I've seen my fair share. You know, um, but memorable thing. My memorable, like, cool, interesting thing was when they bought the boat in from Virginia. Um, and uh, I got a great photograph of a uh, armed forces um, worker um, looking out at the boat. And that photo ended up, uh, we have an annual contest that we do every year. Uh, it ended up placing in the top 10 for the contest for the end of the year for 2020, which is pretty cool. That's always something cool to hang your hat on, you know, to say that, hey, you know, look at what you documented. And that's it, man. I'm, I'm still having fun. And I always like to say that they they pay me to have fun, you know, 
but they also pay me to show what's really going on in the world. And that's what I do, you know, especially when you consider how big Brooklyn is and how you go from Brooklyn to Queens on the same day and you're like, you blink and you're like, holy smokes, it's six o'clock and I haven't eaten yet, you know? Um, it's that's it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy world, but I'm still having fun. We'll see how much longer I continue. To do. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you sharing uh, sharing some time with us. I know so many people, like we said at the beginning, have have seen the pictures, and, and you've done <laughs> such a fabulous work for FDNY and Thank Fire you. Service in general. That Thank uh, you. it's cool to hear, cool to yeah. hear the, about the man behind the lens. And, yeah, uh, and it's it, it's also really cool for me to like share the process of how all of this stuff works because nobody knows. You know, you you guys just see the end result. You know, the end product. You know, and that's the cool portion for me is like telling the full story of how something went down in in my eyes, you know, and just going from there. All right. So I might have to run to uh, my next story. They got a story that's sounding pretty good right now. All right. Awesome. So I'll talk well, to you we appreciate, appreciate you, Lloyd. Yeah. All right, man. Talk to you in a bit. Have a, have a good one. You too. And that ends the Journeyman podcast with Lloyd Mitchell. That was pretty fun to hear the backside of all this. But uh, if you want to get more information from him, uh, just look him on the, on Instagram or Facebook. He's pretty receptive to that. I know he's done a done the fire service uh, some good work by sharing pictures, and I, I've seen a lot of his work in in different PowerPoints and presentations. So, and that's it for the Journeyman Fire podcast today. And until next time, thanks for listening.